Now, before the next podcast, it has been brought to our attention that some of the content contained in this episode, if rearranged in a different order and played backwards three times, turns into a chant of power, which would bring the devil himself from hell, who would in turn make us all miserable by bringing down a rain of hellfire upon us all, chain us to walls, and make us listen to endless stand-up comedy by Joseph Stalin. It turns out, after consulting with various experts on demonology and watching Big Brother for five minutes, that this is a bad thing. Therefore, for the health and safety of all mankind, please do not do the bad naughty. Thank you. Welcome to the second season of... Uh, uh, what is this again? It, it, it's that thing we used to do uh, a lot a while back ago, but, you know, sort of went... Yeah. Two sometimes. Oh, right, of course it is. Welcome to the second season of Ooh, Sometimes. And now, live at the time of recording from the capital of England with the man everyone hopes not to be. He's still technically alive despite my best efforts. It's Paul Hughes. Yeah, baby, I'm back! And the crowd's back, despite the fact I killed them the last episode by not feeding them. <laughs> Isn't the lack of continuity great? Okay, now, to be fair, it's been such a long while since the last time anyone will have heard my erotic voice. In fact, the last episode was released back at the dark end of May 2008. And now, if you've remained subscribed to the RS thingy feed, whatever it is on the blog after all this time, or indeed you were just pestered by your friends to have a look, you're probably wondering, who is this man? And what's the quickest way to run away from him? Well, ponder no longer, dear campers, for my name is Paul Hughes, I am the Lord of Leisure, and the quickest way to run away from me is in fact over there by the bins. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with Ooh Sometimes, the podcast, let me explain what it is. It's a load of self-indulgent bollocks. Sorted. Now for the rest of you who probably already knew that already, let's be honest. There are many questions that will be on your minds while trying to get past the aforementioned bins to freedom, I'm reckoning. Such as, where the bloody hell have you been all this time, mister? I expect better service for the price I pay for this, which is nothing, but that's beside the point. Well, f*** you, I have to work long hours in order to pay off the police for my illicit activities. The officers of the law are far more expensive than they used to be, so to dig up enough skeletons in their closets to blackmail them takes more time than I care to care about. Moving on from that rotten tomato of lies, treachery and deceit, there is much to say and little to do over the allotted time for this show. And to that end, let's get cracking with something designed to make your brain melt. The podcast now approaching on Platform 7 is the delayed episode of Ooh, Sometimes, Calling It Hypocrisy, Insanity, Depravity, and Birmingham New Street. London Life It's rather difficult to begin this section with anything other than a simple statement about the truth of London. You will love it, then hate it, over and over again. Now that sounds a bit silly, doesn't it? You will love London, and then you'll hate it, and then you'll love it again, and so on? Now, 
Allow me to be the David Attenborough of the podcast world for just a brief while, and I will explain all. For you see, this episode I decided to remark on the experiences so far that I've had while living down in the capital. After all, people have been asking various questions about the situation down here, and I'm going to do my best to break down some of the preconceptions that a lot of people have about the place,、uh, such as the myths that St Paul's Cathedral is made of chocolate, and that Boris Johnson is actually the Tooth Fairy in disguise. There are many aspects to London that you will never get until you have been living there for a protracted period of time, i.e., more than five minutes. For instance, if you're a tourist, then most of the time you will see the glitzy highlights of central London, for all the sites such as homeless people selling the big issue, the number of Tesco Express stores, and the dirty, sexy shops in Soho. But if you aim to stay longer, you'll have to sort out various things like a job, a place to stay. People to find to talk to, and maybe sexually assault if you're able to slip their hypnol in their drinks without them looking, and of course finding something to do with all that spare time you won't have. Therefore, we are going to cover each of those important topics in alphabetical order, starting with W. Prepare to be shocked, amazed, and so angered that you'll want to complain. Let's go. Now get over there and work, you little maggot. Working in London is one of those things in life, like paying taxes, sleeping with fat people, or stuffing someone naked into a box with a fifty pence piece sellotape to their ass and placing them onto the night royal mail train to Scotland. You just have to do it. Oh, um, the reason for the fifty pence piece, by the way, it's just so they can ring their loved one、uh, to explain why they're naked in Scotland. Moving back to work, the first conception is. That all London jobs pay far more than the other regional equivalents elsewhere in the UK, simply because of London waiting, with the cost of living being more expensive. Now, having looked around in a few job agency windows, this is a complete and utter lie. London's wages have no special bearing at the lower levels of employment. Now, if you are talking management or sales, then yes, they will pay more, but only because you will be expected to work seven days a week to earn them a hundred million pounds a day. In which case, you'll be worth the twenty thousand pound year salary. Now, taking this example further, for the typical office job where you are paid more than three pounds a year, you will be expected by the balding fat man who is trying in vain to get off with the new university graduate to work a hundred hours a week. Thanks to the new digital invention known as a BlackBerry, which is either a phone with keyboard designed for you to email random strangers on the move, or is a man who isn't white. I'm still trying to figure that out, actually. Some people have called it the CrackBerry due to its addictive nature, and the fact is, when you don't have it with you, for some reason you start shaking uncontrollably. Ooh, interesting. Unfortunately, the assumption is. That when you are granted one of these devices, is that you will be contactable 24 hours a day, even if you're in a coma. Heaven help you if you have the gallbladder to not answer anything on there, or fate worse than death, you are actually in a coma. Because when you've recovered, or maybe even just got into the office, you will be questioned as to why you didn't respond to that vital meeting request about milk. And then there's the well-known management technique known as made-up pressure. My God, why haven't you done what I haven't asked you to do yet? Except I expect you to know exactly what I want you to do. So why haven't you done it? You're rubbish. I hate you. You should be worthless as far as I'm concerned. 
Because in many companies across London, it appears that bosses have this wonderful idea that if you keep pressurizing people, it will keep them on their toes, and therefore they will be more productive. The actual result of this practice on employees is more likely to be a reliance on drugs and listening to stupid people speaking more psychobabble than what even Frasier dared venture onto with its 11 seasons on television. Ugh, alcohol abuse. <coughs> Indeed, the strangeness at work leads us nicely onto alcohol abuse and the simple fact that every day people are getting wasted off their tits after work. In order to relax, there is not one pub that you wouldn't find all the high-flying workers enjoying talking about telephone numbers while downing their seventh fuel tanker of exotic beer from one of several places—Germany, Poland, or Zimbabwe. One would think that there is a bit of an epidemic when it comes to this sort of business, and the major pressures from work which drive this behavior forward. Even I have begun to succumb to this aberrant behavior, drinking far more in the last seven weeks. Than for the entire six months from the start of this year. What's worse, if you're not drinking, you're abnormal. Eep. And now it's time to find a place to live. Woo! Sponsored by no one in particular. Now the most troublesome issue about staying around the capital letter is where to stay during your off hours. Because of the hectic lifestyle of bull riding and beer drinking you will have to endure, you will need a place where the outside world will not intrude, a place where you can sit on the toilet without interruption and ponder all that must be pondered, and a place where you are able to indulge yourself in whatever hobbies you may have, or indeed other interests. The problem is, for a nice place with some actual space beyond one meter squared. Is that unless you have half a million quid stashed away, you're f- quite a statement, I know. But now let me dazzle you with a lack of knowledge to understand the reasons behind that sentence. If your salary is large enough that being on your own covers everything, plus you can go on holiday once a month, then you actually have quite a substantial ability to find somewhere which is not only nice but also affordable. But let's assume that you're a Mr. Everyday Joe Orange Tanker, and that you will be coming to work two jobs while at college or sex school or whatever poor excuse you gave to people back up where you lived. That means you're going to be sharing with 17 Polish workers and a donkey. This will mean that you will have to put up with the personal habits of people that make monkeys blush, including a fellow who will always insist on leaving a trail of grease-like mixture everywhere he goes, kind of like a snail. You will have to queue for the bathroom because someone is having intimate relations with himself in the shower, and you will slowly but surely fall asleep to the stories about how a man ran into a lamppost while cleaning his teeth from one of your flatmates, who, let's face it, will be starved for any attention, and this will be the only way they feel like anyone cares that they exist. A quick remedy to this, which is also the current recommended strategy for dealing with child things, are the trusted pepper sprays. Or, if they become immune to those effects, tranquilizer darts. I'm bored. Are we there yet? I want to do something. Well, fear not, questionable impression of a child. No initial briefing of London would be complete without the long list of things to do here that you can't do anywhere else. 
You can flee from the armies of students with charity shirts on, all of whom are trying to get money off you. Walk by countless homeless people who want money off you. Tour guides who want money off you in exchange for sitting on a bus. People busking around for others to fill their restaurants, bars, or toilets and take money off you. Endless designer shops all charging way too much for something put together by two-year-olds in India for three pence a go. And of course, we are forgetting taking those endless, wonderful free papers of people who look like they will die if you don't take one. On the plus side, they have free entrance to big houses filled with dead people's pretty pictures, or art galleries that they're better known as. And you can take a look at the Houses of Parliament and cry, knowing it's filled with the world's worst piss takers on the planet. But actually, on a serious note, if you truly want to find something to do, there are no shortages if you're willing to look hard enough. And if you have hobbies, you will easily find others with the same interest. For example, I like to think of myself as a lazy bugger, but very occasionally I'm a writer. Which, even if you're writing words on a blog, that does make you a writer.、Uh, perhaps when doing reviews of games, I become a very bad games journalist with a limited vocabulary. And when the opportunity arises, I'm a podcaster. You might have guessed, but then again, listen to this drivel—you never really know. While I'm in London. I figured that there must be somewhere for occasionally funny writers to meet up and discuss occasionally funny things that are written down, and there is. The London Comedy Writers Group meet up in a seedy pub every couple of weeks by London Bridge, and I tell you what, as bizarre as it sounds, it allows you to think of new ideas and have appreciation for the art of writing, which is extremely hard to do. And there are people there doing superb work, and they should be celebrated. Which is why they are getting a mention right here, right now. If you want to look them up, what I'm going to suggest you do is go to Google, type in London Comedy Writers, and hopefully LondonComedyWriters.co.uk should pop up. If not, never mind. The moral of the story of that little bit is: if you do have aspirations, London will actually cater for you. People. It's rather hard to talk about the eight million people in London because naturally you will not have met everyone. But there are five distinct categories, it appears, which people fall neatly into: one, celebrities; two, tourists; three, supposed people of power; four, people who actually live here; five, assholes. Though in some ways you would actually argue that everyone fits into the arsehole category quite well. Okay, here's just one example of events which have swayed my opinions about people here. Now I was at Marylebone train station one Friday night, waiting for a train back to reality up north, and I was enjoying a tasty meal from one of the overpriced vendors there in the designated eating area. Now during this time. A lady decided to、uh, start changing her baby's nappies or diaper, whichever pronunciation you prefer, at another table just across from where I was eating. Upon seeing the current situation with the baby and the stained nappy, I gotta confess I almost blew up chunks. I rose from my blood-stained seat of despair and informed her in a reasonable tone that there were baby rooms in the toilets and could she go there as I was trying to eat. And last thing I wanted to see was a baby with its ass hanging out and seeing what it had produced out of its bottom. 
Now, what followed afterwards was a huge torrent of abuse in at least three different languages, all the while making it look like I was the asshole for even having the cheek of asking for the horrible business of dealing with baby doo-doo elsewhere. It went on and intensified to the point I thought I'd have to throw a table at her and run away in the opposite direction. But she did cool down when she saw the station security personnel walking around the corner. She then finished off the evil business and walked off. Now call me picky, but I've never had that experience anywhere else. There's another thing uh, about the people uh, down here to a great extent. People assume many things based on the job you do. Service support seems to inspire one or two people, maybe, who, it turns out, basically need support themselves in some fashion. But mostly, it seems to be a profession which leaves a bad mess in your trousers. Why is that? Why do we all have to be earning over £60,000 and be a manager of something before people take you seriously? Better still, if you work in the entertainment industry, the life of the party will revolve around you. Basically, forget everything else, it's all about you, baby. Half the time it won't even matter what you do. You're in. And that makes you someone to know. There is of course the other side of the frying pan to consider. There are some genuinely nice people down here. Some of whom are happy to talk about a range of stupid things such as ironing and chips. Probably all over 17 pints of piss water while they're at it. They don't care that you have the dress sense of a pineapple. They don't care that your idea of haute cuisine is the £4.89 burger meal from KFC. Some of them seem to actually care that you have a personality, and that can count more than anything else down here in the capital. Even some of the famous people I've met ever so briefly have been nothing but polite and generous with their time amongst us little people. Terry Pratchett was a gentleman and actually happy despite my silly comments. As was the radio legend, Tony Blackburn, giving me the time of day when I asked him to make a quiz easier. It really is not all bad on the people front, and given time, perhaps more good people will be found. Just on the face of things, though, it looks like the assholes are winning. So what's the prognosis, Doc? Has it been worth it? I know it sounds bad. I know it's built on relatively little knowledge of what London is like, and the time frame for making all these observations is small in the grand scheme of things. But time moves quickly in London, and to be fair, seven weeks is more than enough to get a good idea of what it's all about. It appears that we come back to the phrase we started out with before we started on this long-winded adventure. You will love it, then hate it, over and over again. On one hand, London is full of nasty things and people you'd rather have destroyed and killed by James Bond. To get on fully, it appears you need to spend money to be in the right places to meet the right people, and then go on to make about £20,000 a second in a line of work which inspires awe and fear, maybe, at some point. You also need to see for all the bullshit as well, and to be fair, it's quite a crappy place to be if you have nothing to do except go to work and then come home and watch Big Bother. On the other hand, the landscape of central London can be quite breathtaking, the opportunities to further yourself in any way are quite numerous, and as long as you remember not to take everything at face value, you will survive and get on. So, is London a living hell? Is it a friend or a foe? 
quite honestly, it's both friend and a foe. It really does depend what day you catch it on. Not a great answer, I know, but it's actually the most... It's probably the most accurate that anyone could truly give about the place. Ah, here's another bit where I fill in some dead time. Now, what to say? Uh, I like meatballs. There we are. I've said something to fill the time quite nicely. Now, move along. You're causing a draft. And now, because that was a long-winded topic, and to take us to body parts unknown, the first of our chart-beating songs on the internet, please raise your glass of acid-laced spike juice for Tina Deco, who's going to tell us how to count to ten. There are faces, there are smiles, so many teeth, too many arms and legs and eyes and flashing buttons all around me. I'm a watching, I'm a breathing, I'm a pushing, I'm a wishing that these walls would not be talking quite so loudly. I have burnt down once before, I've pulled myself up from the floor, and I am looking for a reason to stay standing. But sometimes it's just too much, it's not enough It's something else that's so much bigger than my head It's too demanding Sometimes the fastest way to get there is to go slow And sometimes if you want to hold on, you got to let go I'm gonna close my eyes and count to ten. I'm gonna close my eyes and when I open them again, everything will make sense to me then.
I challenge anyone out there to not say that that was a great tune. Honestly, when I heard it, I just thought it it just fitted my mood currently uh, as it stands right now so well. I had to, I I just had to put it on, share it with people, and possibly get some good feedback for another artist of the internet, which frankly is whooping ass over all that chart shite that's out there at the moment. So Counter 10 is from the album also called Counter 10, and there's a link on the Use Sometimes website where you're able to go and purchase the entire album. I suggest you do. Honestly, it was superb work, and being perfectly honest, you know it's better than most of the chart-topping stuff that's out there right now. Go and get it. You know you want to. Right, let's move on to something more trivial, shall we? Yeah, man, it became us corner. It's the return of a segment on the podcast that actually has a pretty limp and decidedly uninspiring title, to be fair. That was a horrible accent. I do apologize. <clears throat> anyway, Gamers Corner. Yes, it's a place of refuge for those who burn easily in the sun and think women are deeply confusing. So that's the entire male population of the planet. Now, in the months since the last awe-inspiring review, which involved murmurings about Assassin's Creed at some point, I seem to remember, we have seen some of the finer games to grace our collections of electronic board stuffs inside plastic containers, such as the Art Nouveau game Sins of the Solar Empire, a game which basically laughed in the face of copy protection, while actually boring the pants off my body with ships going across big maps, some things going pow-pow, and the GUI being complicated. Those facts have been mentioned quite a lot before, and I still can't bring myself to play the game for the purpose of review. Oh dear. We had the legend that is Lego Indiana Jones, a game which made a nice mockery of the films George Lucas did his best to ruin. Grid came out from Codemasters uh, during this time, which looks to be a beautiful driving game, and I'm sure something will be said about it at some point. And then there's Devil May Cry 4! Never mind. Hopefully I'll be able to get through all that before GTA 4 makes its way onto PC in November. Yes, we've got a release date. The news of GTA 4's release on PC was met with about as much enthusiasm as a dog shitting in your shoe. This month's choice for review is EA's Mass Effect. Well, I say Mass Effect is from EA, it's in fact from Bioware who was swallowed up by the mammoth Electronic Arts Eagle Takasuki Corporation in an attempt to bolster its gaming catalogue and creation of original game franchises. Now, Bioware have been making quite a number of role-playing games in the time it's been around. We may, of course, remember Knights of the Old Republic, Neverwinter Nights, and the ever-popular, with those suffering from various skin diseases, Baldur's Gate. It's fair to say all have been received with good reviews and now moderately fresh out of the factory on PC, with the Xbox 60p version being released last year in another great decision to release things far later on PC. We've got Mass Effect. First off, this game features sex! Yes, there's a bit of naughty in the game and it caused such hoopla in Yankland, the land of the free and the depressed. 
Fox News, those lovable rogues of the news world who can find tragedy and outrage in someone not saying please, they brought out their newscasters and even had some fella on from EA just to accuse him of lying and that EA was probably responsible for 9-11. Hell, let's chuck in World War II. I mean, who knew Hitler worked for EA? There was even more controversy with this version of Mass Erect due to the internet connection requirement. You see, every 10 days the game would check to see if it was a legitimate game and then deactivate if it wasn't able to verify that you haven't downloaded it from somewhere naughty. On the plus side, of course, there was no disk required to be in the drive when you played the game. Which, when you think about it, Steam's been granting that handy advantage for quite some time now, so it's about time someone else did it. So, for the brief period of time that you'll be playing the game, just hope you don't lose your net connection and all will be well. I mean, the truth behind this... It wasn't any evil, oh my god, I can't play anymore, EA robbed my money, but one of, nice, the disc stays in the box now. Now speaking of the brief gaming experience, it will only be brief, depending on how hard you play and rush through the main storyline. You see, I did this, and the game experience was completed in just under 15 hours, and that was stretching the time out over a weekend and one evening. So what will you get for your painstakingly worked for £30, or whatever many dollars it is, I don't know, in other currencies? Well, you do get a game in a vibrant sci-fi universe with a story that, well, um... It's not overly exciting. You are Colon Shepard, who is a big man, or a tiny woman depending on your choice at the start of the game. He or she goes around space dealing with naughty people which are all shapes and sizes. One scary fella shoots another scary fella and then off you go finding said scary fella who is in love with a giant bug thing who wants to royally screw over the entire universe. You will meet and annoy new people along the way or with their own stories to fill out about five minutes before you go off shooting people with guns and other things which glow. I actually have two words to describe Mass Effect. It just happens to be followed by other words which when put together form a sentence. Put it this way, I am not impressed and I'll tell you why. What is indeed new in the game? I know you're gonna look at the graphics going, ooh that's nice and shiny, these characters are new. Well, Color Shipyard I was convinced was stolen from Stargate Atlantis and all the others are basically the same one from Knights of the Old Public Toilet. Uh, Rex, uh, one of the big lizard people, reminds me of the evil robot guy uh, from Knights of the Old Thingy and the love interest was the other Jedi lady who was... Um, well, it depends on what you did. It was either on your autoways being good or evil. She'd be nice or not nice with you. The similarities are just uncanny. Now, I know that that's quite a damning piece of judgment right there, and already you will be smelling the stench of failure. But hold on, it's not all bad news. Despite the fact the story is largely the same, typical baddies will take over unless you stop them affair, which Bioware have produced before, it's still done in a compelling way which will carry you through the game to get to the end. And they even deal with racism, which is rife in this game. Basically, humans are viewed, for the most part, with the same level of hate as asylum seekers. One of the hot human lady characters you have the choice of using in your squad really does despise any alien in the same vein. And depending on your feelings or how many playthroughs you go through, 
the way you respond to this will determine whether or not you have naughty little. And that's the only important thing here, campers. Naughty. Now, to their credit, to deal with something so icky in a computer game should be applauded. And you even have a choice on how you deal with racism as well. And depending on what you do, that does actually make you feel strange in some ways. I mean, anything which invokes emotions, even negative like this, should be definitely recognized. Fair play, Bioware. But let's move swiftly on to the meat and potatoes of the game. The gameplay. You will go through a series of landscapes and situations with two other computer play companions who vary throughout the game if you so wish, and all the while you will use your trusty mouse and keyboard to move your third-person placed ass about the screen. Enemies come onto it, and then you shoot them. It sounds simple enough, doesn't it? Unfortunately, its console roots mean that your aiming doesn't have to be as accurate as shooting... Well, you would expect with other games, because even shooting with a shotgun from long range caused injury to the hapless naughty bad guys. And using the sniper rifle will make you cry, because every time you use it, it appears you need huge amounts of Dutch courage. There is no way you can steady the scope to shoot. I mean, not that it matters, you get them anyway, it seems. The choice of Swiss Army weapons never change through the game, but you can have bits and bobs found out and about, or bought from silly vendors which then make the weapons fancy. Which is nice, but considering you have to scroll through a huge number of items of different bits when purchasing new and shiny things, it takes far too much time, and I ended up just chucking anything in based on how much it cost. So infantry system, or purchasing system, probably more accurate, is therefore not the best in the RGP space. But where will we be without chums to battle our way through the big battle things? Basically, if you didn't have them, the battles would get very difficult. And just like Knights of the Bold Arctic, you have a choice of companion to do the good fight, and they become available through the course of the game. The problem is, once I found two characters which made life easier, I just stuck with playing the same ones all the time. I mean, forget the rest. For the record, T-Rex and Suzuki Liana are the best characters to play through the game. Indeed, they were so adept at taking care of business with the force or whatever powers they used, who knows these days. The only times I did direct them, or indeed had to properly take charge, uh, using the fancy pause button, which comes up when uh, you press space, um, was when there was like 10 enemies at most. I don't know, I mean, other than that, I didn't even bother. I doubt you will either. At some point, you will be required to explore places, again, just like in Bites of the Gold Bucket, solving various issues and crimes and all sorts of doings. And you will also be expected to drive a 2657 Volk space wagon. Well, it's just a big white thing that you drive when landing on most of the planets in search of Bovril or whatever it happens to be at the time. And you would think that this is a welcome addition. Something different, at least, in the RGP space. But, frankly, it appears they've modelled the handling of said state-of-the-art transportation on the broken shopping trolleys with a wheel missing. And try and drive the thing while trying to zoom in enough to fire at the baddies. It's great fun. You just have to take bets on what piece of child-safe tarmac you get stuck on. Or what pothole you fall into. 
Other times, aside from fighting baddies, you will take on a number of tasks given by the usual suspects to clear people's names, commit espionage or other things, and occasionally use this little cursor thing to go in a bit and override something. I don't know, just, it was pointless, but there we are. It does break up the combat very well, gotta give it that. Bioware have done the good thing in introducing responses before the end of a conversation, so you can select something to keep things going if you so wish. And despite that sounding like a little thing, it's very much welcome and was very much appreciated. I didn't have to wait as long. Thank you. After you completed your silliness wandering around, having words with the denizens of the world, you go back and say whatever, and the rewards you gain can vary depending on the type of person you are by your actions. And it won't matter what you do in terms of being good or bad, actually, you'll still be able to complete the game with the same type of ending, so, unlike the aforementioned Star Wars games, you will get the same story as everyone else, only the details will change slightly. As for the side missions in the game... Well, they're there, and that's it. You don't have to do any of them, and frankly, unless you're a completion freak who fears the sun, then move along, nothing to see, ha! Huh? Now let's move on to the technical aspects of the game. Graphics have been done to a very high standard, with speckles on the screen, giving the impression you are viewing from some CCTV-type display. And somehow, it's rather good. At max resolution and anti-jaggy line thingy thing, whatever it's called, it looks more attractive than a supermodel. But not Jessica Biel, I'm sorry, it's going to take something special to be her. Basically, you're gonna need an uber beast of a PC again to run the game in all its glory, but now that's considered the norm, so never mind that point. Now, Bioware have polished the game to a fine shine, but in typical fashion, there are still bugs which have affected gameplay on more than one occasion. And it involves lovely lifts that you will actually spend half your life in. Now, if you have to dare to get a lift at certain points, Normally you've got no choice but to use them, and these are everywhere in the game. These are most annoying. But all your chums are facing the same direction, and the door would stay open. You would be stuck for all eternity, or until you alt F4 out of the game. Not the best thing, considering the elevators are amongst the most annoying aspects about the game. Before you just resented them with the crappy music and everything else. Now they become your reason for becoming a supervillain against the world. I mean, apparently in the Xbox 360 version, the lifts were there to break up the levels with loading times and things like that, but on the PC, what is the bloody point? I mean, to the credit, the elevators have the annoying music that you would expect, and just like in real life, people seldom talk in them. I mean, from your gaming perspective, you just sit in your chair and watch as they go up or down a lift and take unknown amounts of time getting there. I swear, I've gone off for a cup of tea at one point. It was still going when I came back. No word of a lie. I, I just cannot say otherwise. It, ugh, I don't know. Now, what else have we got that we can possibly comment on in this game? Ah, yes, Henry. The sex scenes, the sexy scenes. With such fantastic coverage by the media in regards to these inclusions of naughty scenes in a mature gaming experience, heaven forbid we would actually talk about that. 
Mind you, it is obvious that when it comes to the sex scenes in Mass Direct, we are going to need some items before proceeding. A tub of popcorn! A nice big screen! Some Vaseline in case it gets truly funky! Right, I've got all the bits and bobs that we actually need to do this. Now, I'm going to watch one involving the male version of Hewlett Packard and the female character Suzuki Liana. Right, let's just play. Please, I am not looking for comfort. Saren might already have the conduit. It is time to be completely honest with each other. These could be our last moments together. Our last chance to show each other how we feel. I want this to be special. We don't have to do this. Not unless you're sure. I have never been more sure of anything in my life. Will you join with me, Shepard? Let our bodies and minds unite. Just tell me what to do. By the goddess. That was incredible, Shepard. <laughs> Is that it? Uh, okay, I mean, I mean, I must admit, I've seen more pornographic scenes in Bambi, for crying out loud. People's grandparents have gotten a bigger rise out of me than that. Look, even with the female-female action which could take place, the most you would see is that they have a bit of a friendly cuddle. Look, the moral of the story of this is, don't believe everything you read and see in the media. Okay, moving towards the end, right, uh, don't forget that the expansion Bring Out the Sky TV, or whatever it's called, is available for free download from the Mass Effect website, along with a patch which does fix some of the issues mentioned here, and the content in the expansion does give you slightly more of the universe if you are after more of the same at the end of the main game. For free, you can't knock it. So after all that waffle, what do we actually have here in Mass Effect? It's an RPG from the makers of fine RPGs, Bioware, can't forget that. The vehicle sections are, well, there, and you can get past them, so you can get past the side missions as well. The sex scenes are actually welcome, and the racism topics are welcome as well. I mean, at least there are signs of developers wanting to make more mature games exploring very, very classy social issues. And, you know, it gets around some of the silliness uh, based around the subject as well. The glitches and the bugs are just silly, as are the elevators. Look, I suppose the uh, same thing goes for both of them. Get rid of them. The story is actually a very good reason to keep going through the game to its end. Fair play to it. And the characters are well thought out, despite some similarities to other ones. Bit of a shame on the combat, gotta be honest. I was expecting a little more finesse. So now, using the now legendary point system, passed down from generation to generation, let's find out what pointless number will be assigned to Mass Effect for the PC. It's a six! Sorry, Bioware, your luck's starting to run out now. With your next effort, make it more exciting. Like Rambo or Predator exciting with big guns and a jet and show us more naughty bits. I demand it! And on that bombshell, it's time to end this edition of The Gamer's Corner. 
Now, for those of you who need more gaming news and discussion than whatever's provided here on an adult basis, please check out the Gamers with Jobs podcast from across the pond. And you can get to it from gamerswithjobs, or one word, dot com. Gamerswithjobs.com. And you will laugh and cry, possibly, at the same time. It's terrific people on there. Can't fault them. And maybe the thing on there once. And now to our next piece of music, please welcome into your ears the talented Frightened Rabbit singing about the modern leper. A cripple walks amongst you all, you tired human beings. He's got all the things a cripple has, not working arms and legs. And vital parts fall from his system and dissolve in Scottish rain. Vitally, he doesn't miss him, he's too fucked up to care. Was that you?
Once again, more fantastic music from those warriors of the internet. The Bodden Lepers from the album The Midnight Organ Fight by Frightened Rabbit, which is admittedly uh, quite a funky name. You've got to admit that. And you can buy that album from the link on the website, www.usometimes.com, of course. And thanks again to Iota Promonet for both the tracks on this fine, fine episode. And now it's time for the Lord of Leisure's Guide to Modern Life, starring Paul Hughes as the Lord of Leisure, Mr. Voiceover Man as the announcer, and tonight's special guest star is someone we can't afford, so he's not here. Today's guide revolves around that most perilous of tasks faced with people living today in broken Britain. I speak, of course, of food shopping. Indeed, this particular kind of shopping has been the downfall of many society. Who can forget the Great Fire of London, which was started over the fact that someone had bought milk, which had gone bad on the shelf. Today, millions of people make their way to supermarkets up and indeed down the world every day. These people range in all shapes and sizes and are only after the things they need. No one will come between them and their goal of having enough washing powder. I seem to remember at one point in 2002, a supermarket owned by Walmart was a war zone simply because the day before there was an advert for buy one get one free on spaghetti. To tackle this level of uprising, the supermarkets have had to toughen up on security. Now it's not uncommon to find members of the CIA and MI6 moonlighting as guards. Old age pensioners have been taken away and beaten by them simply because they had the gall to take more products than they were allowed under a promotion. So, supermarkets are a tough place to go and even tougher to survive. Now in order to prepare ourselves for the torment that is to follow, we need a man or perhaps a close approximation of one. Someone whose middle name is Dave. Someone who is fully familiar with close quarters combat and firearms trained in every weapon known to exist. And it had to be someone who laughs in the face of danger, kicks it in the balls, douses it in petrol and finally sets it on fire all while still laughing. Now we we couldn't actually get anyone like that so the Lord of Leisure had to do it instead. Now of course, once the Lord of Leisure had been coaxed out of bed and indeed got dressed, we gave the implements required to complete the tasks at hand. A shopping list, several long life carrier bags, a bus pass for the bus, and an AK-47. We now go across to the action where the Lord of Leisure has just entered the streets on the way to the supermarket of death. Now we are on the streets of a city walking up to the metro supermarket where we will now attempt to shop, pay for the goods and leave without loss of life. Uh, of course, the first obstacle are going to be the endless legions of charity students. These are people with no sense of decency, who will typically hound you to the ends of the earth in order to take £500 a second from your bank account to help those starving warlords in Africa. 
Excuse me, sir, do you have a moment? Now, to deal with this menace, we do, of course, have the AK-47 to mow her down if needs be. But a good idea is to try and conserve the ammunition until absolutely necessary. So we will first need to resort to reasoning by trying to use the law on our side. Right, Lord of Leisure? You know the script. Is that notepad of yours secure? What? Well, it's just, you know, it's against the Data Protection Act to merely write down people's bank details on a piece of paper. It's not classed as secure. And also, bear in mind, you are a complete stranger wearing a charity t-shirt. How do we know what you're going to do with the information? Well, we've never had any complaints. Oh, and if you just look here, you'll be able to see what we've been able to do for all the people of Oompa Loompa Scoompa Woompa Loompa Land. We've given them fresh towels, a hand dryer, a cuddly toy, a jet. The promise was... Oh, dear. It appears that the reasoning behind the law has been bypassed and the flip book of guilt has been opened to show you how bad you are for denying people water or shower gel or whatever the bloody hell she's on about. Look, Lord, just try walking away now. Just, just start walking. Sir, don't walk away. Look, if you just keep looking... Are you saying you don't care about these people? These people are dying every day from eating and excreting and aggravating and anything else agating. And with just 23 pounds a second... Oh, damn, she's keeping up. Look, you may have to use the AK-47 after all. Uh... Oh, uh, no, it's, it's okay. The Lord of Leisure has used his armpits to sedate her. She's falling to the floor and now no longer a problem. Ah, so a top tip there for getting rid of the students. Just forget about your personal hygiene. Right, now we're just heading into the store, past the Gestapo security guards, and we're in! Now, of course, we have entered the store, and the first thing you will have noticed, the supermarket background music, playing over the tannoy, which you'll also find in all lifts and hotels. Now essentially, this music is designed to make you feel sleepy and relaxed and make you want to stay in the store for quite some time. But will our man fall prey to it? Fear not. The Lord of Leisure's lack of personal hygiene, remember, also means he has a nasty build-up of earwax and therefore is able to block out the impenetrable rays of the music. Now onwards to the art of shopping. You will find that most items in a supermarket have been divided up into categories. Food, drink, napalm, and this is the time you will need to consult your shopping list. Lord, please take out the shopping list. Right. What we need to get are typical items you will go to the supermarket for in a city. Let's look here. Some milk. Some fancy pasta, a newspaper, and an Albanian illegal immigrant, and some fresh cheese for sandwiches. Now to speed up the collection of these items, we're going to need a basket. Because all shopping trolleys, by law, have to have a wonky wheel, or worse still, one of the wheels missing. And therefore, the shopping ritual will take far longer to complete if you actually use one of those. Okay, now we're going to make our way round the aisles gathering what we need. Okay, now he's starting to look for the milk. Ah, oh, he's found it next to the Lego play sets. Uh, oh, and not in the fridge as you would expect. 
As it appears, the fridge has now been broken for six months. Okay, got the milk in the basket. Now, we need to navigate round the tight aisle, round the corner by the olive oil, and... Oh, no, 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 Lord, Lord, it's crowded. Reverse, reverse, round the next aisle. That was safely traversed. Now, most traffic jams in an aisle, in a shop, is normally due to the elderly or single mothers with 12 children in their pram, so you're never going to get round them. See, it's always best to divert round them in another aisle or whatever method you do. Swing in from the rafters if need be. But unfortunately, you don't have a lot of room for manoeuvre because the entire population of Liechtenstein is stuffed into the shop today. Now, the passage of time seems to change in shops. It's already been three hours since the Lord of Leisure wandered in, and unfortunately, for some strange reason, it seems to be the opposite of the TARDIS. The shop is now starting to get smaller. My God, he has to hurry here. Okay, the Lord of Leisure's gone to offer the Albanian some work in exchange for hiding him from the authorities. But no, there's someone already there. There's a man uh, in a tweed jacket offering him three pounds a year to clean his garden. And now a man from Oxfordshire is offering the Albanian a fiver and a biscuit to build him a house. Oh dear, it's getting rather ugly now. The two gents are coming to blows. Oh my. <coughs> Emily, oh, the... The security is coming over, out and they're being dragged off to a back room where probably they'll be shown what the inside of their bottoms look like. It's a dangerous situation, I think it's best if we leave the immigrant alone this time around and focus on the remaining items on the list. Okay, now we're after cheese, any cheese will do. Ah, and bonus, it's buy ten, get one free, so that's what we're gonna do. Go on, pile it all in there. Now we've only got the pasta to get, go to the next aisle, past the gypsies that have lived in that aisle since 1982. Ah, oh, and quick, there's only one packet left! Go on, go get it before another man in the tweed jacket comes round. The Lord safely got it, but no, there's someone trying to steal it from his hands. It's a champ of a glass eye who suffered a knife attack the night before. And oh my god, it seems everyone was after the same pasta. There goes the other man in the tweed jacket, as we suspected. And now this is the time where your trusty AKA 47 is going to come into play. So now wound the other shoppers. There we go, and now get out of there. For those of you listening at home, you're going to need to be fighting fit in order to survive this part of the shopping experience. With that pastor in your possession, you are now public enemy number one. You're going to need to fight against old people and basically anyone who gets in the way. They've basically just been in there not having a clue what they've wanted. They're just browsing. Just hit them out of the way. The time is now getting short. The guards are getting edgy now. There has already been gunfire and you've been in the supermarket now for over three days. So get a move on. Some of the biscuit eater. Ah, it appears a riot has now started in Frozen Veg and the Gestapo are on top. It's like Omaha Beach now. People are getting mowed down left, right and center. Not even the Mr. Kipling Frozen Vanilla Slices are escaping uninjured from this mess. Uh, oh, and now the, it's, now the fuel tanks are leaking. Which you have to question the reasoning behind placing fuel tanks by frozen cabbage in the first place, but never mind that. Lord of Leisure, just just get out of there. Forget the paper. Head to the counter. Just just chuck the money on on until run to the door. Right. Just just keep going. It's only a matter of time before.
and um, uh, there you are. We've successfully made it out of the Metro supermarket with even some of the items on the shopping list as well. So it's going to be a while before the emergency services turn up. In the meantime, let's go through the key details of what you need to survive the holocaust of food shopping. Uh, it appears that forget personal hygiene, because that can be used as a weapon. Uh, make sure you've got a shopping list to know what you want beforehand. Uh, work out a bit in case you need to make a quick getaway in case of emergency. Don't underestimate the other shoppers. They may surprise you in trying to steal things from your basket. And a gunfight is expected. Don't go unarmed. Next time, we learn about the perils of making tea using toxic waste. Now, to finish off the show before we go off for tea and crumpets, we've got the little bit that we'd like to start called your section of the show. It's quite original. You'll like it. Now, some people will be, uh, well, we hope, will leave comments about the blog and also more things about the podcast, suggestions, what you'd like to hear, that sort of thing. And because this is a regular thing, starting from this show, which in itself is laughable considering how often this podcast is actually released, um, we want you to write into podcast at oosometimes.com and it can be with anything you desire. I mean, in the past we've done a review of a dirty sexy film as requested by the Kiwi, Mr. Nigel Parsons, and also last show's Marmite Bovril Showdown as requested by a Welshman. So honestly, Write in whatever you want, podcast at oosometimes.com, that's O-O-H sometimes.com, and who knows, your suggestion could make it on here and become perverted beyond all recognition. And that's, that's it for this episode. I feel we've achieved nothing as usual. So, how long is it before we hear more then? Well, knowing our luck, next time will probably be 2012 in time for the next Olympics. So, until then, goodbye! That was episode 4 of season 2 of Ooh Sometimes, starring Paul Hughes as the Lord of Leisure and S.L. Slaughter as Mr. Voiceover Man, with music by Kevin MacLeod, C-Jax, Seismic Anomaly, and Williamson, with sound effects from the Free Sound Project and SoundSnap. Excerpt used in the Mass Effect review... Copyrighted EA Games 2008. The show was written by Paul Hughes with no thought about what the goal was whatsoever. The music tracks appeared courtesy of Iota Promonet. To find out more about the terms and conditions of this podcast, visit www.oosometimes.com. And if you wish to contact about anything on the podcast in any shape or form, please email in to podcast at oosometimes.com. Okay, I gotta ask. What was the deal with the ironing board? Yeah, you're probably best not asking. Just, just think about something else.